0: you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. I'm going to invite Craig Dewey. Uh, If we could welcome Craig, that'd be amazing. He's going to read uh, our scripture uh, tonight. Uh, Craig is married to April, and uh, his daughter Autumn is our most recent baby dedication. So we were just up here a couple months ago doing that, so he's going to read our scripture on time. Thanks so much, Craig.
1: Thanks, Dave. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19.
0: Meanwhile, Saul
1: was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias and placed his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about that and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priest, all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles and their kings before the people of Israel. Show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appointed, appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength.
0: Awesome! I'll take it. Thank you so much, Craig. Say thank you to Craig. That'd be amazing. Awesome. So I want to do a little review in the Book of Acts. Uh, we are in chapter nine, and if you've looked ahead in your Bible, you know that Acts chapter nine is not the end of the Book of Acts. And so, if you're like, ah. Oh feels like we're like a third of the way through. We are about a third of the way through the book of Acts. So here's kind of a quick outline. I chose one word to describe every chapter we've been in. So Acts chapter 1 is ascension. What happens is that Jesus is killed. He's crucified. Then he is raised to life in the power of the Spirit. And then he says to his disciples, I'm going to do what I've been talking about doing. I'm going to return to the Father, but my Spirit, I am leaving with you. And so wait, and when the Spirit falls on you, that's going to be the engine for your life. That's going to propel you forward into Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so Acts chapter 2 is about that happening. So Acts 2 is birth. The church is born. The church begins to gather Gather people in meaningful ways, and there's teaching, there's all these wonderful things that begin happening. Acts 3 is temple because Peter and John we kind of see as these central characters in the temple, and they're teaching in the temple, they're performing signs and wonders in the temple. If you remember in Acts chapter 3, there's a guy who's seated outside of the gate called Beautiful, and he's asking for money as people are going into the temple, it's a lucrative place to sit and to ask for money, and Peter and John actually heal him in the power of the Spirit, and he comes into the temple leaping and praising God, and people are like, hey, isn't that the guy? Yeah, that's the guy, because why? Because when God shows up in your life, there's evidence of God showing up in your life. That's Acts 3. Acts 4, Peter and John get into trouble, And they stand before the religious leaders, and the religious leaders are like, hey, we talked to you about this. We've had this conversation before. I've set the expectations. No more teaching about Jesus of Nazareth. No more teaching about resurrection. No more teaching about this kingdom that's coming that we just sang about tonight. And Peter and John are like, yeah, that's great, but sorry. We're just not going to do that. And so they are beaten, and then they are released. Acts chapter 5, miracles. So after that arrest has happened, after a couple nights in jail has happened, there's all these miraculous signs that the apostles perform in the power of the Spirit. And it's good to remember, church, that miracles are not Jesus' magic tricks. It's not Jesus flexing his muscles and showing off miracles in the Bible, people who could not see who can now see, people who could not walk who can now walk, people who could not speak who can now speak. That's actually Jesus pushing against darkness. That's Jesus saying it's not always going to be this way. I have come not so that you would have a little bit of life, but I've come that you may have life to the full, life in ways you have not experienced it before. Miracles are signposts to the kingdom. It's Jesus giving a rip about darkness and pushing against it. Acts chapter 6, there's, you're like, hey, why couldn't we have done this? We could do the whole book in about three weeks, Dave. Let's just do it that way. No, we're not doing it that way. I'm driving the bus, I will drive it as fast or slow as I want to. Acts 6, there's a group of people who are overlooked. You know that in any group of people, there's one or two or three people who do not get all the screen time that everybody else does. And there's a group of people, widows, Greek widows, who are overlooked, and so they're not getting the resources that they need, the food that should come to them, and this is not okay in the kingdom of God, everyone has a seat at the table. And so to overlook another person is to not see them. To overlook another person is to not love them. And Jesus says, not so with you. Not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, everyone has a place. In my kingdom, everyone is getting fed. In my kingdom, everyone is in relationship with me. That's Acts chapter 6. And then Acts chapter 7, we meet this guy named Stephen. And Stephen is the first martyr of the church. Martyr is, comes from this Greek word, matureo, which means to witness. And Stephen witnesses for the kingdom of God, and he gives his life. He is stoned to death. And so a group of people begin to throw stones at him until he dies. And if you're wondering like, how this would actually happen, I'm trying not to get too graphic- in the house of God tonight, but typically what would happen is that they would get, the person being stoned would be pushed off some kind of cliff, some kind of hill, and then people would throw rocks down at the person until they were no longer living. So Stephen is the first martyr. And then Acts chapter 8, that whole promise that the kingdom is going to go to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is the Samaria part And this is a place that you were a Jewish boy or a Jewish girl, you didn't like to go. Samaria was bad news in your mind. And God's like, my kingdom has no borders. So we're going to Samaria. I'm gonna bring life in Samaria. And so that's kind of what happened. That's the first eight chapters of Acts in three minutes and 37 seconds. So that's incredible. So Acts chapter nine, we hear about this guy named Saul. And you're going to hear for the entire rest of the book of Acts, you're going to hear about Saul. He's going to have all kinds of moments, all kinds of journeys is going to be a part of his story. And we know a couple of things about Saul. We know that he's born in Galilee in Israel, but that he's raised in Tarsus. And Tarsus is yes, a hard word to say, but also a city in Turkey, modern day Turkey. So he grows up in Galilee and Israel, but then he actually is, spends a lot of his time in Tarsus and Turkey, but that he's taught in Jerusalem. So he learns the way of God in the city of Jerusalem. So Galilee, Tarsus, and Jerusalem. And so what I think that shows us is that God uses every single place along the way to shape us. Like he uses Galilee to shape Saul. He uses Tarsus to shape him. He uses Jerusalem to shape his story. So every single place that we enter, God uses to shape us for our good. I'm not saying it's easy, not saying it's comfortable, not saying it's enjoyable. Have you been to middle school before? God uses middle school to shape you and to form you into the kind of person that he has for you to be. If you are a middle school teacher, yes, that's a place that God desires to shape you and mold you. And yes, that person in your workplace. That's just like a hard person to be on the team with. God wants to use that person in that place to shape you. And in our minds, we have to come to the realization that everywhere we go, every place we step into, God has a work to do. Not just in the other people, but also within us. Saul is introduced to us as really a bitter opponent to the Jesus way. Like he stands in opposition to God. I mean, Luke is, when he's writing this, he kind of says it three times. He says three different times that Saul is a bitter opponent to the way of God, to the way of Jesus, to the church. So, you know, Acts chapter 7, verse 58, we're told that Saul is present at the stoning of Stephen, and he's giving the green light, right? There's a little spot in Acts seven fifty eight where we see that people came and they laid their clothes, their cloaks at Saul's feet. That's giving them the blessing. Saul says, yes, go forward with this execution. And then Acts 1, 8, verse 1, and Acts 8, verse 3, we're told that Saul is opposing the way of God. And then in chapter 9 as Craig just read for us, he's breathing murderous threats against Jesus and against his kingdom. Like he's angry and he's violent. Like that's how the scriptures is introducing us to Saul. I don't know if you've been at a party and someone introduces you for somebody else. You don't introduce yourself, someone else introduces you and they get something Wrong. Been in that kind of moment. Here's a moment Luke is introducing to everybody in all of human history, Saul, as an angry and a violent persecutor of the church. Uh, There's this amazing word in the original language that Luke uses. So of all the words he uses, he uses this word lumenomai to describe him. And lumenomai is the same word that is used in Psalm 80, translated in a different language, for a wild boar digging up a vineyard. That is how Paul is introduced. Like a wild boar digging up the vineyard, lumenomai. But something's going to happen in the life of Saul. We're not going to get there quite yet because we have to talk about a few things. So, verse 1 and 2. What does Saul do? Saul gets permission from Caiaphas, the high priest. And if you're like, oh, Caiaphas, where have I heard that before? It's the house of Caiaphas where Jesus spends the night before his execution. And so Jesus is arrested and then he's taken to the house of Caiaphas and there's this giant hole. I've actually been there. There's a fence so nobody falls in. So you take pictures around it. And it would have been a hole that Jesus would have been placed in the night before his crucifixion. And so this is the same religious leader that kind of oversaw this crucifixion of Jesus is still in power. He's still barking orders. And so Saul goes to him and says, give me permission to go to Damascus. Give me permission to go to Syria. Give me a hall pass, a permission slip. When I was in third grade, you needed to use the bathroom. You got a Giant yellow key that you had to get, and you had to go traipsing down the hall. Anybody anybody else have that yes? It was disgusting then, and it's still gross now thinking about it, that why we all were using this same key, this permission slip to be in the hallway. Saul wants a permission slip from Caiaphas to go to Damascus, not because he needed a vacation, not because he needed a break. He wanted to go get people of the way and bring them back to Jerusalem that he might imprison them. I think we have a map of all of this. Wonderful. So we're talking about Jerusalem up to Damascus, up to Syria. If you go north of Damascus, you'll hit Tarsus eventually. So kind you kind of go like around this bend. The screen doesn't show at all. 130 miles. If you're going to walk it, how long would it take you? Six days. It's like Sioux Falls to Huron or Huron, depending on if you grew up in Huron, call it Huron, right? So six days, going to walk six days to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Damascus so that he can continue his persecution of the Jesus people. And I love how Luke describes the church. He describes, you notice that, followers of the way. And can I tell you what I love about that? is that when it comes to following Jesus, it is equal parts believing and living. Like there's a way to live out, there's a way of life for us. Not just a way of thinking, not just a way of understanding, that there's supposed to be like some teeth, some action to our faith. And they're on the road, and then there's an interruption, and there's a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I don't know about you, but I find that very interesting. That Jesus aligns himself with the church. Doesn't call it an it. Doesn't call it a building. Why do you persecute me? and he says his name twice and I think we need to just take a moment to understand why he's saying Saul Saul it's not the first time that somebody in the scriptures name has been repeated we could go all the way back to Abraham or Jacob or Moses or Samuel or when David's son Absalom dies Absalom Absalom he's grieving over him that's all in the old testament but the New Testament, more examples, because he won them, like Martha, Martha, like when Lazarus dies, right? Martha, Martha, um, Jesus will speak Jerusalem, Jerusalem, like he's, he's grieved, he's weeping over Jerusalem, because Jerusalem wants nothing to do with him. And then later, Simon, Simon. And then there's another one, when Jesus is on the cross, This is one maybe that you might miss. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, Lema Sabathani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you're like, what's up with all of that? What's up with all of that is it's a Hebrew expression of intimacy of closeness. What's intimacy? Intimacy is shared experience. Like, yeah, we were in that moment together. Some of you were around for all of the snow that we received in 1968. It's the record of snow we've ever experienced. And some of you feel like you're in the moment right now, and you're just not. It's number 11, okay? (laughs) My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so what's not happening when Saul's name is being repeated is God's not yelling at him. It's not the moment that I experience on a daily basis with my nine-pound wiener dog named Diego. Diego! Diego! Come here! It's very different. But can I just tell you something that I think the church needs to understand? Something that's really crucial for us is to not hear the words of God in the tone of the evil one. Like, I think it's really possible to read the words of Jesus and yet the tone is anger, the tone is accusation, the tone is shame. So we're wrapping our lives around the teachings of our Savior, but how we're hearing it is in the tone of the evil one. Saul, Saul, No, this is an expression of closeness, of intimacy. This is not some kind of accusational moment. And I just want to say that tonight because I've heard it in the church before, and it's just the moment where I just want to stand up and just call a time out and say, no, 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 no. There's not anger here. There's an opportunity in God. The heart of God is beating for the heart of Saul wants him to get a picture, get his arms wrapped around the the power of his grace and mercy and forgiveness. Verse 5, I love this too. Saul responds, who are you, Lord? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then Saul responds, who are you, Lord? It's my contention. It's my belief that God will use the duration of our life helping us answer that question. What will happen in your life as a follower of Jesus? He's going to help you answer who he is. There's this incredible moment in literature. There's this writer that maybe you've heard before, C.S. Lewis. He's got this book. Prince Caspian, and there's this beautiful moment in it. I just want to read it for you. Um, It's a moment between Lucy, who is this young girl, and Aslan, who is uh, the the Christ figure. Uh, He's a lion, turns out, which I love that, Lion of Judah, when C.S. Lewis is, you know, figuring out. I love that he doesn't like choose a lizard, chooses a lion, like the Lion of Judah, this powerful, powerful image. And here's the interaction. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Saul, Saul, who are you, Lord? my contention, that God is very willing to use the duration of your life helping you answer that question. I would also say that you don't grow by moving on from the gospel, like moving on from how Jesus has shown up in human history, how he has taken his hands and he's plunged them into the dirt of this world and sought to bring resurrection life out of brokenness. Like, you don't grow in your relationship with God by moving on from that, just like you don't learn by moving on from the alphabet. You don't reach a point where you're like, you know what, this whole alphabet thing, I think I got it, I think I'm good. I think I'm no longer going to use letters anymore, because I understand it. I'm going to, like, move on. No, you use the letters. To continue to learn, to continue to grow, to continue to understand. All the third grade teachers in the house today were just shouting from the depths of their soul. First, you learn to read and then you read to learn. So we're not moving on from the gospel. Like, oh yeah, we understand it, we're good. No, we're plunging deeper into it. First we receive good news, and then something happens. As we receive good news, then we offer it, we become it, we embody good news to the world. And what I love about this story, we can we could go through all the 19 verses tonight. We don't have time to, to do all of that. He's blinded, then he goes into the city, and I have a lot of questions why the Bible is so specific tells you what street to go down, but yet there's a lot of things in here that aren't answered. I just wonder about that. To why are we told the name of the street, but we don't know when Jesus is going to return. That's just one of the questions. But what I love about this story is that God considers Saul not as a persecutor, but as one who will be useful in his kingdom. And in a world that says make yourselves useful like I wonder if there's been an authority figure in your life who said that to you like go make yourself useful we hear from the heart of God on the road to Syria that God has made us useful and his heart is that we would be even more useful that there's nothing that we have done that somehow cancels out usefulness. No decision that you've made, no series of events that have happened, no season of life that you've walked into or out of that is determinative of your usefulness. What's determinative of your usefulness? The cross is. The fact that he's been raised from the grave and his life has been breathed upon you like it's in your lungs it's the thing that powers you so it's not about making yourself useful but receiving the usefulness that has been given to you not by your parents not by your job not by your friends but by him by the savior of the universe So we see in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to invite the band up as we close tonight before I talk to you for two hours. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2. This is in the New Revised Standard Version. I just love this. For we are what he has made us. Just like hang there for a second. We are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. Even this guy who's killed followers of Jesus, God considers him useful. Useful enough to say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? And then, and these are words, just so you know, that are written by Saul like 27 to 32 years after that moment on the road to Damascus. He's riding to this church in Ephesus and he says, hey, we are what we've been made. And I think he's really borrowing, Saul is really borrowing from Jesus, good person to borrow from if we're keeping score in the house of God tonight. In John chapter 15, Jesus, in one of the last conversations he will ever have on planet Earth, says that God cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, why? So that we will be even more fruitful. Pruning happens so that more fruit can grow, more usefulness can be evidenced in life. And so I just wonder tonight when we come to the end of this story, like what gets in the way of divine usefulness? Because God spoke that over Saul. God's speaking that over every person in here, every person who's going to listen to this later. In the mind of God, you are divinely useful. And so what gets in the way of that? Like some kind of way of thinking, some kind of mindset, like something that happened in the past, some kind of wound. For some of us, it's just like getting really comfortable where we are, and we're like, well, there's really a whole lot that I need to do. Like what gets in the way? Maybe believing that in, in some way that there was another season of life where you were a lot more useful. And I'm sorry, your divine usefulness has not been spoken by you. It's been spoken by the Holy One. And so when Paul's on his way to Syria to can he continue to persecute the church, God calls a timeout and says, I'm going to use you to be the carrier of my name. Because I consider you useful. And I just think in the house tonight that it's very likely that you don't consider yourself that way. There's a lot of people in this room and who are listening to this sometime later. And it's not usefulness, but uselessness that is the governor of your life. And I'm telling you the truth in this book is saying to you that that's a lie and that it's garbage and that it comes from the pit of hell so much so that Jesus plunges his hands into the dirt to bring forth resurrection life In in a minute we're going to celebrate communion and just really helpful if you don't come down the center but you kind of come down here and then go back the end and I'm going to end a message in a way that I never in my life would have thought I would end a message and it's a word from an actor named Jim Carrey I don't know if anybody knows about Jim Carrey if you watch The Mask or if you watch any of his other movies but he's got a word about the gospel that I'd love for you to hear so Steph if you could play that that'd be amazing and then I'll pray.
2: I've had some challenges in the last couple of years myself uh, and uh, ultimately I believe that suffering leads to salvation and in fact it's the only way that uh, we have to somehow accept, not deny, but feel our suffering and feel our losses and, uh, and then we make one of two decisions. We either decide to go through the gate of resentment, which leads to vengeance, which leads to self-harm, which leads to harm to others, or we go through the gate of forgiveness, which leads to grace. And uh, your being here is an indication that you've made that decision already. You've made the decision to walk through the gate of forgiveness, to grace, just as Christ did mm-hmm. on the cross, he suffered terribly and he was broken by it to the point of doubt and a feeling of absolute abandonment, which all of you felt. And uh, then there was a decision to be made. And the decision was to look upon the people who were causing that suffering situation that was causing that suffering with compassion and with forgiveness. And that's what opens the gates of heaven for all of us. Let's
0: pray. God, thank you uh, for your table and for the grace um, that it is to us, for the life uh, that it is to us. Uh, we thank you, God, for the road that leads to Syria and for the road that leads to Damascus and for this story about Saul who has his life renamed and redirected and his efforts redirected and God for the usefulness that you saw in him that you spoke over him and that all these thousands of years after that finds its way into our life and into our story. We give you thanks and we give you praise for coming, for plunging your hands into the dirt of earth so that you might bring forth life and hope and mercy and forgiveness in a new way of showing up Thank you, God, that we are what you have made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, and it's in those good works that you want to empower us to walk in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite Zach and Rachel. Can you help me come serve um, on this side? I have this new pattern of just calling people out at the end of the service to help me. Um, with that and so it's you know a little bit fun yeah thank you so much uh, for doing that awesome 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 Jerry can you help me over on this side that'd be amazing Uh, Jerry and I share a birthday so it feels like just kind of feels right Um, so Jerry if you could just stand uh, right about here and awesome awesome thank you so much man Uh, and then I've got uh, this smaller bowl is the gluten-free if you're wondering If you were here last week, this was a paper bowl, and I hit it on accident, and every single piece but one flew into the air right about here. And so if you weren't here last week, you missed it. So um, I got not a plastic or a paper bowl in the house I got tonight, metal, all right? So I invite you to come uh, and receive uh, the life, the promise, and the blessing of the table.